Well, this is the challenge, right? So we have to go through distribution channels and the broad line distributors are not easy to work with. It's expensive. Oh, you have to yeah. invest a lot behind trade spend, which would be slotting fees or promo pricing. So we're really focused on aligning with retailers that get it and then also are prioritizing responsibility when they're looking at seeking consumer packaged goods. That's an important focus, working with the retailer first and having them get behind us. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. This is our long-awaited interview with Paul Evers, who is the co-founder and CEO of Riff. And Riff is a purpose-driven coffee brand that's based in Oregon. So, And Paul's going to tell us lots of things about coffee. So welcome to the podcast, Paul. I'm really happy to have you. Well, thank you, Christy. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you. Yeah. Why don't we start with you just talking a little bit about your background and how you sort of wound up here at Riff doing what you're doing. Well, that could be a long one. (laughs) I'll I'll give you the synopsis. So my background actually is in creative services and a branding agency out of Oregon here. We did a lot of work in craft beverage with kind of an emphasis on craft beer and experienced a significant amount of growth during the, the growth of the craft beer category, which is really super exciting. The main thing that I took away from that was, you know, the vibrancy that a craft brand had in the relationship with consumers versus other CPG, you know, versus mass produced brands. So there was more of a human connection that really resonated with me. So I came up with the idea of translating the brain trust of the agency into an operation or a brand that could have scale. Because when you're a services business, you're, you know, you've got a finite number of hours, people, days, time. And so you're always trying to balance the demand with the supply And it's a struggle, especially when you're in a little town like we are up Bend, Oregon. So we co-founded a brewery here in Bend called Crux Fermentation Project. That then launched Migration, where I had one foot in creative services, running a branding agency, and one foot over in co-founding and launching a a craft brewery here in Bend, which I like to think is one of the more respected craft brewery brands uh, in the Pacific Northwest, which is really great. And after, you know, that brand achieved a certain level of maturity... I realized that what I really enjoy is building things. And so left day-to-day operations at the brewery and started looking at what the next new thing would be and got excited by what was happening with the the cold-brewed coffee segment of the greater coffee category. The numbers, the growth numbers relative to the category just was reminiscent of what was happening with craft beer 10 to 15 years earlier, saw you know, the cold brewing arm of coffee as being the disruptor, the innovator, and leading significant change in how people understood and experienced coffee. So we launched Riff with product and market in late 2018. We kind of tore a page out of the craft beer category, that business, and launched with a very innovative, experiential, and experimental tap room in Bend. And we're excited to kind of disrupt what people's experience in, was with coffee and, and reintroduce it as something that would be vibrant and fun and where there'd be a lot of social interaction versus headphones on 
looking down at a screen, sitting there in a coffee house solo. So that's how Rip launched. That's really cool when you talk about the experience, but you obviously moved beyond that, right? And now you have a CPG brand. So I think the experience is really interesting. And I want to hear you talk a little bit more about what that means. And then I also am curious to know how you can replicate that at home. Great. Well, the strategy, sort of the business strategy, the brand strategy behind the tap room was really Bend is a place that attracts about 4 million unique visitors a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's an outdoor recreational mecca. So most of those people are coming from up and down the West Coast, with the majority of them coming within a, like a six-mile driving radius. So that was our geographic footprint for initial distribution of packaged, mm-hmm. ready-to-drink cold brew yeah. coffees. And so you come to Bend, you'd have this uh, exciting experience in our tap room, and then go back out to your local market and see Riff on the shelf and say, and have that added emotional value yep. of that experience that they had in Ben. So it's kind of like you go to the live concert, and then when you go back home, you want to listen to the playlist over and over again. So we had 30 taps in that tap room, and we're doing some really interesting experimental things. We were doing collaborations with craft breweries, uh, distilleries, wineries. We were also had our own line of cold brew coffee cocktails made with decaf cold brew. We had a hot nitro cold brew coffee. So it was brewed cold, stored cold, and then, you know, transferred to the tap cold. And then just before being poured, it was heated and then nitrogenated. So it was more akin to a latte, but it was having the benefits of cold brew coffee. coffee. Cold brew coffee wow. is less acidic and bitter than the hot coffee that we're used to. And it's a gentle process that so doesn't really extract the acidity and bitterness compounds. So it's a, it's a more pleasant experience for your stomach, cold brew coffee is. And we believe it also allowed for the true flavors of coffee to really shine through. You know, you don't need to muck it up with dairy or sweeteners just to balance out the acidity and the bitterness. So it was a really exciting space. We did a lot of fun things in there. And then we also had a food menu that was all designed to complement the flavor profiles of coffee. But you know what happened is a pandemic hit in 2020. And that was insert introduced just a significant challenge for us. Mm -hmm. So what that led to, and you know, we were you know, shucking and jiving and trying to figure out how do we get, you know, continue to generate business? How do we continue to keep people employed? You know, our service staff, our kitchen staff, et cetera. And so, you know, it was a lot of trial and error. And ultimately at the end of 2020, we decided we needed to get out of the tap room, that it was really becoming a very, very demanding business for us trying to figure out how to stay alive. And so we actually proactively went out and found four potential replacement tenants and were able to sublet the space in February of 2021, which was a huge accomplishment. I mean, right, like you say, you say, we got to get out of the tap room. Uh, let's, we got to figure out how to do that. But we're in the middle of a pandemic when the restaurant business, that industry was getting harder hit than just about any other industry. So how are you going to find a replacement tenant? Seemed impossible. And some people might've thought, well, that's not going to happen. But we ended up with four replacement tenants. And that was because, um, you know, I think we had some foresight as a team when we secured the space for the tap room. We made sure that it could accommodate a larger operation. We made sure that it was prime real estate in case of failure. I think when, it's the hardest thing that you can do when you're building a startup 
and your early stages or even pre-revenue, you're thinking, if we fail, what's our out here? When you're all in from a you yeah. know, an emotional and yeah. a, you know, in a financial perspective, you're all in, but you're trying to hedge your bet by figuring yeah. out what is the escape hatch. So luckily we had a, a suite in a prime location in town that was very, very attractive. So those that were opportunistic and thinking beyond the pandemic and had the resources to, to think beyond the pandemic, yeah. were really drawn to the opportunity of being able to take that space over. So, I mean, it's great that you could do that. What happened to the business then? Like, how then did you go about generating trial? And what has it been like since then without the taproom? Well, the pandemic not only, you know, basically crushed our taproom business, which made up a majority of our revenue, but also food service. That was an important channel for us for distribution of the, you know, the packaged product. Primarily, well, not just ready-to-drink, single-serve bottles, but also kegs. Keg business was pretty big. You know, we had one account that had to put a cap on a number of kegs for their office of five per week. You know, people just really, when they're in their work environment, really love cold brew coffee. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah. we had presence on the Nike campus. We'd just been authorized for presence at um, Columbia Sportswear. And yeah. then the pandemic just, you know, killed that business. So, what we decided to do when we closed the tap room was really consolidate all of our resources and time and talent behind our core business, which is single serve package products for distribution. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. And also in that same time, we had developed a secondary line, which is called now called Rip Energy Plus. But in early stages, we called it Alter Ego, being named for being Coffee's lesser known counterpart. And that product was really, it's made with an upcycled ingredient, which is sadly and needlessly thrown away. So it's a byproduct of the coffee harvest. We get into that in a little bit, but that product was really developed in the tap room. We were, you know, creating small, we were brewing small batches, making small batches of it, pouring it across the tap and serving it to customers and then getting direct feedback on it. So we were iterating. And getting real-time feedback, that was the other benefit of the tap room is it was really an R&D center. Mm-hmm. We had a pilot brewing yeah. system. We do small batches. We can have face-to-face conversations with the consumer. That was something that's really important, was important for us. We wanted to make sure that we were connecting and meeting consumers' needs. So that was called Alter Ego. And so when we decided to close the tap room, consolidate behind a single-serve ready-to-drink packaged product, we decided to double down on what was this cascara or coffee fruit uh, line of products and expend some of our resources toward consumer research, uh, getting direct insight from Gen Zers and millennials up and down the West Coast on product formulation, brand positioning, messaging hierarchy, et cetera, brand packaging design concepts as well. So that we could then, well, that led to a launch in June of 2021 of what's now called RIP Energy Plus, which just earlier this year became the first certified carbon neutral energy drink or functional beverage in the country, maybe even the world. We're not sure. There's no central repository. So this is RIP Energy Plus, and it's brewed from upcycled coffee fruit juice concentrate. And that's you know what we're referring to is when we're talking about the story of coffee when we started experimenting with this in late 2019, we stumbled upon a pretty significant sustainability issue within coffee harvest that we were unaware of previously. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Well, we started doing, here's what happened is we were experimenting with what was called a form of that ingredient called cascara. Mm -hmm. And that's in the early stages, what we were doing is importing a dried. So I know it gets a little bit complex, but did you know the coffee was a fruit? I did, but I think that's not common knowledge. So coffee is a fruit and kudos to you for knowing that. And (laughs) uh, most people just is mind blowing that coffee is a fruit because Mm -hmm. everybody's familiar with the roasted bean, you know, a dark brown bean. Well, that roasted bean is really a two headed seed to coffee beans married together like this, encased in a luscious, sweet, naturally caffeinated, fruity pulp called coffee fruit. The skin around it is called cascara. That's a Spanish term for husk or skin. Yeah. And originally, we were importing a dried version of that. It's dried at source because it's rich in moisture content, rich in sugars. So if you don't process it pretty quickly, it's a rich environment for microbials. So we were importing a dried version of that and then doing the initial wet extraction here on our at our facility. And we were really fascinated by the exotic flavor notes. It had, you know, it was naturally sweet. It had flavor notes of honey, citrus, like a lemon tartness, as well as like dried fruits, like figs and dates and things like that. So we were fascinated by that. And then we started doing more research on the nutritional value. So fast forward, we've concluded that it is the better half of what the coffee plant actually has to offer. But because coffee has been around for 400, 500 years, is so deeply entrenched and everybody's understanding of coffee is pretty simplistic. But all this time, because there's no awareness and no demand for the fruit that surrounds the bean, it's led to this massive waste, a significant percentage of food waste around the globe. So what we decided to do, we started doing research, learning about the nutritional value, learning about potential environmental impact. And there's a lot of claims being made out there that were really you know, provocative and alarming. But what we wanted to do was have integrity and make sure that uh, if we're going to make claims that it's backed by science. And so we then reached out to Oregon State University, a senior climate change scientist there by the name of Dr. Dominique Bachelet. And that launched a partnership for an environmental impact study that was conducted by a PhD. And so the basic findings there was about 25 billion pounds of green coffee is produced for export annually. And that results in about 100 billion pounds of coffee fruit as a byproduct, with some of that going to be used as animal feed, be converted to biofuel, and then also converted to be a composting to fertilizer. That only makes up about 30% of that 100 billion pounds. So what the outcome is, is that 70 billion pounds of coffee fruit is literally thrown to waste every year. The vast majority of that is hauled off to landfill, where as it's decomposing, it's emitting methane gas equivalent to 14 and a half million metric tons of carbon dioxide, which is the same amount of emissions as 3 million automobiles in a single year. Wow. That was what was really super alarming. Mm -hmm. And so we then, you know, as I explained, you know, RIP was really about introducing a craft sensibility to the coffee space, to the cold brew coffee space. And, you know, with the anchor of that being our tap room, this discovery of what we refer to as coffee's dirty, not so little secret, transformed RIP into a purpose-driven brand where we recognize 
a significant sustainability issue within coffee and felt morally and ethically compelled to do something about it. But it's not like a dirty job that we're doing. What we're doing is saving yeah. uh, what is actually a super fruit from going to waste and yep. feeling driven to figure out how do we translate that into food and beverage products that appeal to a mass audience so we can achieve scale and maximize impact, positive impact. So that's what you did with the beverage you just shared with us. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's Rip Energy Plus. And so you have that and you still have the cold brew coffee. We do have the cold brew coffee. That's right. We're going through another transformation. And this is just in response to a change in the sourcing of the ingredients for Rip Energy Plus, where we handled the first stage of the process in-house. And now we're importing a fruit juice concentrate. So it, it's not dependent on anything that we're doing in-house. So we're moving yeah. to outsourcing 100% of all of our product production because the Rip Energy Plus requires a pasteurization. A kill step. And so that's too expensive for us to have in-house. So we've been, you know, outsourcing a majority of the product production there anyway. So now we can do 100% outsource. So we're decommissioning our production facility. We're reducing our cold brew offering from, you know, five or six SKUs to two or three, which is basically going to be cold brew coffee in a bag in a box packaging format. So no more single serve, the ready to drink? No more. It'll be ready to drink, bag in a box, but not single serve. So you can put that uh, in your fridge okay. and then it, and, it. it'll last you a week or so. Yep. So talk about that a little bit, because that's interesting. You've got two products. One seems like it was almost a happy accident at some point in time. And it feels like you're leaning into that one more than the other now. Is that right? Right. And the main reason there is the cold coffee. There's no kill step, meaning, you know, it has to be distributed cold chain. So it has to yeah. remain at 45 yeah. degrees or lower yeah. throughout the entire distribution channel. With Riff Energy Plus, because it's pasteurized and it's got the right pH level where we can do that. And you know the formulation is not, there's no degradation in the quality of the product with a kill step or pasteurization. I so say it has a 365 day shelf life and can be stored yeah. ambient. So we can yeah. distribute yeah. that wherever we can ship it across the country and not worry about spoilage. Mm -hmm. So how do you feel about moving away from the coffee and into something? Now you're in energy drink category, right? And coffee's sort of an energy drink, but not really. Coffee a, is its own category. So how's the, I mean, the energy drink category is, there's a lot of players, right? A lot of launches all the time. Yeah. How is that being in that kind of a category for you? Well, it's pretty brutal. Let me tell you yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's seemingly the industry is, you know, conspiring against small emerging brands like Rip all the time. It's yeah. dominated by behemoth brands with, you know, seemingly endless resources, you know, the Cokes, the Pepsis, mm -hmm. and now these conglomerates, Dr. Pepper Keurig. What keeps us going and gets us excited and out of bed every day is one, we're purpose-driven. We believe that we've landed on something that will appeal to a mass audience. And we're solving multiple problems. There's two or three other problems that we're solving by upcycling coffee fruit into juice concentrate. But the main thing is, is that we're seeing a massive increase in consumers' desires to seek out sustainable products when they're shopping. And so multiple, you know, retailers across the country, even Walmart have adopted significant initiatives to get behind 
a move toward or a commitment toward becoming carbon neutral at some point. And so that's who we're appealing to is this new consumer that's not just seeking something that's good for them, but it's also good for the planet. So I'd like to say we're plant powered and climate friendly, being the first certified carbon neutral energy drink on the market. And, you know, if we're at our druthers, we wouldn't choose the energy drink category. And what we'd like to say is that the energy drink category chose us because coffee fruit is naturally caffeinated. So it's going to have that caffeine aspect to it. And like you said, coffee is an energy drink. It's just that it's, it's got its own category. So we're in the energy space, however you want to describe it. We're actually, Riff Energy Plus is really our entry into a functional beverage space. So right now we have Energy Plus immunity. That's also an immunity benefit with a daily dose of vitamin C and antioxidants. But we're going to be extending, you know, our line extension is going to include other functional benefits, recovery, focus, other aspects like that hydration. So talk about the challenges of being in the category. You do have a lot of interesting benefits and there's some unique things about Riff that lots of brands can't say, but there are lots of brands saying different things. Like there are different kinds of function, many, many functional beverages. Some of them are launched by the big guys, but a lot of them are small kombucha kind of brands and probiotic drinks. And, you know, what are you going to do or what are you doing right now to make sure that you guys feel really different and get the word out because I agree with you. There is an audience. I think they're mostly probably Gen Z bleeding into millennial that really cares deeply about the environment. And so carbon neutral is a really interesting way at them because it's important to them, but also so is taste. And so is the fact that there are tons and tons of brands. So how are you getting to them? Well, this is the challenge, right? So we have to go through distribution channels and the broad line distributors are not easy to work with. It's expensive. Oh, you have to yeah. invest a lot behind trade spend, which would be slotting fees or promo pricing. So we're really focused on aligning with retailers that get it and then also are prioritizing responsibility when they're looking at seeking consumer packaged goods. That's an important focus, working with the retailer first and having them get behind us. We're in several conversations with large retailers, natural grocery chains that are interested in leveraging a product like Rift to really support and substantiate their own commitment to environmental sustainability. Not only that, there's a supply chain equity benefit also with RIP that I can touch on a little bit later. So we're focused on those chains and then also food service. So distribution back to campuses, yeah. uh, whether it's corporate or higher education, where the institutions themselves are committed to sustainability. Like yeah. Microsoft has said, we're going to be carbon neutral by 2030. How do you do that by also you know yeah. supplying all these products that are counterproductive yeah, to that mission? So RIP would support that. So we'd love to be on campuses like Microsoft, Google, you know, EV manufacturers. We've been in talks with some of those folks as well. So getting onto those campuses where not only is the institution behind significant improvement in their sustainability practices, but also the population that occupies those campuses are aligned from a a values perspective and prioritizing sustainability. So what's your distribution like right now? We've got about, you know, 300 different retailers carrying RIF. Okay. Up and, up and down the yeah, West Coast. Yeah, West Coast. Okay. Makes sense. West Coast. On the East Coast, we're also with Hungry Harvest. We're distributed as well with 
you know, or offered online at retail with Imperfect Foods. We're just in the finishing up a series of Costco roadshows where we're on the floor and touring different Costco's in the LA region, doing face-to-face conversations with thousands of consumers ourselves. We're doing it as founders along with brand ambassadors. So we can have that. It's an incredible investment insight in having one-on-one conversations with, yeah. uh, with your consumers. How do you feel like those have gone? You know, they've gone well. You know, we're learning and we're iterating as we move through the process. A couple of things that we've learned. So we do have some added sugar in our Riff Energy Plus. It's certified organic cane sugar. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain segment of the population that says, I love that it's certified cane sugar and it's not using any of these alternative non-nutritive right. sweeteners that have some things that are not so good for you, like erythritol yeah. and other other sugar alcohols that your body just actually isn't able to process. So they like that. The category has kind of trained consumers to say, you know, sugar is evil. Yeah. So it's really an interesting segment. So there's some consumers that just say, oh, it's got added sugars. No, but you yeah. look in their cart and they've got a, you know, a quart size of acai juice that has equivalent of 32 grams of added totally. sugars per 12 ounce yeah. serving. Yep. But it's for this category, I don't want sugar. This one here is sugar is okay. So, you know, we have a new extension that's in development. And it's obviously it's going to be sugar free. But one of the ways that we differentiate is they'll say, well, how does this, you know, compare to brand X? And we say, well, you don't need a, a degree in chemistry to understand the ingredients. You can read them. You understand them. It's a short list, largely grown under the sun versus in a lab. So it's natural, good for you, good for the planet, and really good for coffee farmers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it all makes sense. And I know it's still really hard. What are the biggest challenges you're faced with today? Like you got through COVID, you pivoted where you could, you shifted from pretty much cold brew to an energy drink that has a relationship to coffee. What are the biggest challenges for you at the moment? It's really the biggest thing that we need to really expand on significantly is brand salience with consumers and getting the story out there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you're a small emerging brand, you have limited resources, you got to figure out how do we have a system? How do we get visibility without, you know, the piles of money that are yeah. typically required for that? Yeah. So one of the things that we've done is align with some folks that have a pretty massive audience and bring them on board. It's really about values alignment. Yeah. As well as, you know, a good investment perspective as well. So we were one of the first into the NIL space, which is name, image, likeness, engaging with collegiate athletes. Now that mm-hmm. the NCAA has changed the rules, allowing collegiate athletes to monetize yeah. their name, image and likeness. So we're pretty excited. Just a few months ago, we launched an engagement with a young collegiate athlete by the name of Sedona Prince. She's the Oregon Ducks basketball team. She is Riff's chief community officer as well. So she's really engaged in the business, but she is the young person who challenged the NCAA at the March Madness tournament back in 2021 and calling out the discrepancy between the Mm -hmm. men's and women's weight training facilities. That's where she became famous. She is a rock star and she loves Riff. She uses it every day. It's a part of her life. And so now she's going to start sharing that message with her audience. Awesome. And on TikTok, she's got about a million. Oh, amazing. More, a million more followers than a brand called Nike. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So that's hacking the system. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. 
Definitely. Talk about raising capital. Have you guys done a big capital raise? I noticed on your site, you've got an invest button, which is very unusual. So I'm curious to hear about that. And also if you've done it in the more traditional way, or are you doing everything sort of untraditionally? Well, we started out with a friends and family round, which we called our quote unquote tribe round. And that was, we knew that, you know, we would be more successful if we built a community around the brand rather than just a few co-founders trying to launch something. So we took a very unique approach in that initial round. We were not going for big dollars. So what we did was we limited the investment amount to $25,000, no more, no less, and limited one per household. And we proposed that to our legal counsel who's helping us with, you know, the fundraising stuff and, and forming the business. And he said, you know, that's a really great idea. I've had about 25 different companies want to execute that and each of them failed at it. So we actually, so we're seeking to raise about $750,000 initially. So 30 different households investing $25,000 each. We ended up oversubscribing and 40 different investors at $25,000 each, which was great. And that really, those resources provided us the ability to build out a production facility, build out the tap room. And then in late 2019, early 2020, we started our next round, which we called a series seed round. And that was, again, more, you know, an expanded network of friends and family. And then, of course, the pandemic hit. And uh, so we... In order to continue to fundraise, because we're still dependent on investor capital to subsidize, you know, operating expenses and overhead. So we initiated, we instituted a kicker. So uh, if you invested in that round, you got an extra 20% of class B non-voting units to make up for the, the capital markets. Mm-hmm. And so we were successful. We closed that last year. And then really the what you saw in the invest and Rift button is a crowdfunding platform called WeFunder. And that's as much a customer acquisition marketing campaign as it is a fundraising campaign. So that's another way to kind of hack the system. We have so far, I think about 250 different investors, average investment levels about $2,000. And these are now ambassadors, customers, yeah. fans of the brand. They'll help us spread the word and will help you know, with our e-commerce direct-to-consumer channel as well. So we're authorized to raise as much as 1.7 million on that platform. And, you know, that delivers significant value beyond just the monetary funding. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Is it hard to, I mean, is the money part the thing standing in the way from scaling? Is it like, are you, tell me more about what's hard and what you're doing to get past it? Because you obviously have been doing this for a little while. You didn't start the business two months ago or right in the middle of COVID. You started it before that. You've made a lot of shifts. How do you feel about it right now at this moment in time? Well, it's still a big challenge. And, you know, like you pointed out earlier, the the set that we're competing in, we are an underdog of underdogs in this category. And so we're competing against brands with significant resources. So we have to hit way above our weight class. So we're still dependent on investor capital. We've made a lot of moves to reduce overhead and operating expenses so that we can reduce our burn rate. Like I mentioned, we're we're consolidating and we're moving to 100% outsource. So we're actually moving out of our production facility by the end of October. We've got a replacement tenant ready to go. And we've made some other significant shifts with our executive team 
to reduce expenses, take the money we're raising on WeFunder and look at it as like a big lump of asphalt. And so we have that asphalt, we can build a wide runway that's not very long, or we can build a narrow runway that yep. that can extend two or three times as far. So that money, when we're done, will go a long way, get us through for another year and a half. And at that point, you know, with those funds, this product has only been in market for about a year and it takes a while to get some traction. We just now, you know, we've been iterating, we've been doing, uh, getting different certifications. Like just recently, we got certified non-GMO a few months, you know, before that we were certified carbon neutral. So all those, you know, logos are on the can, right? And as you're iterating, you're doing labels, but now we've moved to printed cans it's so much more of a nicer product presentation. And so this is just our first batch actually with printed cans. So it's going to have a better presence on shelf because yeah. when we, when it's just a product sitting on a shelf, you're asking a consumer to take a risk and try this new product. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's kind of, this is a little bit of an adjunct, but being, you know, a creative services person, this is one of the only packages that a product comes in that you actually put to your mouth. Right. So whether it's conscious or subconscious, the way the package looks as far as sanitization, yeah, clarity, cleanliness, that's uber critical, right? Because you wouldn't take other packages and just put it to your mouth, but with the can you do and it's sitting there on yeah. a shelf, right? Yeah. So you were talking about the challenges. Being a small brand, we're iterating all the time, right? We didn't have the resources to kind of do this big, massive consumer yeah. research study and then have a roadmap based on insight that way where, you know, it's an iterative process. So the biggest challenges is really building brand salience. And that is not something that you do in one campaign. Yeah. It's all about this incremental build, engagement, being present, being active, being visible. Of course, social media is huge for us in communicating in authentic ways and building a real genuine connection between consumers and fans and, and our brand. Have you found that your strategy has shifted a little bit? You're talking a lot about cost control and stuff based on the fact that the capital is tightening up and it's harder to get funded without showing positivity from a cash flow perspective and profitability or the way you're going to get profitable in a really short amount of time. Has that changed a lot? And has that changed your strategy at all? Well, just, you know, responding to the challenges of the pandemic had the biggest impact on shift in strategy. Like the tap room was our largest source of revenue, then became, you know, a leaky boat. So shifting there and then making the decision earlier this year to consolidate once we were able to source a a fruit juice concentrate for coffee fruit, you know, it takes months to figure out how you're going to decommission a facility and sell all the equipment and find a, a replacement tenant and move out. So that has shifted. But yeah, we need to, we've been in a continued pursuit, becoming more and more capitally efficient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels and, like and it, it's not like a light switch. No, 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 it's definitely not. No, it feels like it's got to happen over time, but relatively short amount of time, because I do think the pressure is on and I don't know, maybe it'll swing back at some point, but it does feel like now it was so far over, right? Everyone was getting funded. You almost didn't have to prove anything. And now it's the opposite, opposite. And you have so much that you have to prove from that perspective. So I do think it's made it harder for brands. And then if you combine that with the messiness of targeting on paid social right now, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah, that's very expensive. 
The, the other you know, obstacle that was introduced with the pandemic is the elimination of sampling opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. We weren't able to sample it at retail where before yeah. we'd go in and do demos and try all the products. So that we hadn't done that until Costco just earlier this summer, actually sampled product. And we were planning back then, you know, with the rise of the Omicron variants, uh, LA County was saying back in July that it might do mass mandates in all indoor environments. And so we were worried that that was going to reintroduce another yeah. obstacle with sampling yeah. opportunities. Yeah. That hasn't really played out, I guess. Seems like no, they, they, back to some yeah. degree. Yeah, but it's challenging. I mean, it's definitely tough, but you're still excited, which is really cool. And I just, how do you keep yourself? That's probably my last question for you. Given all the things we talked about and, and knowing how hard it is. And I told you this when we started chatting, I've talked to so many founders who are if you look from the outside, you're like, wow, they made it. They did it. And then when you talk to them, you're like, I feel like I get kicked in the face every single day. So <laughs> I keep going. And when you know that's coming, like every day something's coming and you get the highs and the lows, but they're extreme, right? You probably don't have a lot of days where you're like, it's all good. I mean, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely don't. Not, not even, yeah. That's occasionally on a weekend. I have those days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, for me, being purpose-driven is the big differentiator. And that purpose is above and beyond me by a long shot. It's above and beyond Riff. So we have a role to play here that is above and beyond just running a successful or building a successful enterprise. Of course, you have to do that. So what we're excited about is we believe we've identified a really wonderful overlap between an enterprise opportunity and an altruistic purpose. Mm-hmm. So we are about, you know, building awareness and demand for coffee fruit. And it doesn't necessarily have to come with awareness. You like the product. You like how it makes you feel. A lot of our consumers claim, you know, heightened mental acuity. There are some really incredible things and there's not a lot of science yet to back it up. Potential health benefits of coffee fruit. It's loaded with antioxidants and polyphenols and magnesium, potassium, and iron, all these things. And it's weird. It's like, you know, with coffee being, you know, around for four or five centuries, nobody knows this, but we all know that acai has its health benefits for coffee fruit. And it's already being, you know, grown, harvested, and produced, just being thrown away because of no demand. So That whole thing gets me super excited and the fact that we can speak with confidence because we have robust science backing up our claims, we have credibility, but being purpose-driven is the differentiator. If it wasn't for that, it's really seeming, I mean, I think a sane person would say it's really stupid what you're trying to do because you're working against all odds, but nothing incredible comes to bear if it isn't working against conventional wisdom and broad assumptions, like Dyson, I believe did 5,000 or 2,500 or some multiple thousands of prototypes before you landed on the vacuum that actually took off. So that's cool. I mean, you have a good long-term perspective. You're not expecting it to happen overnight. I think that's also really interesting advice. And I don't know if you're meaning to give it right now, but you definitely are. And I think that's important because, you know, people think there's an explosion of a brand and it's all of a sudden a success. And you know, that's not true, right? It's been, it's not true. It's been happening for years and years and years. And I think that's really important to remember as an entrepreneur, because 
it is a long game unless you get super lucky and something crazy happens. It's going to take lots of time and energy and resources. And yeah, like a, you know, a wise person that I runs an accelerator we're a part of, it's called the TIG, the Intertwine Group. Uh, Elliot Began is a veteran from natural products, CPG. And he had a good line like, why would you put rocket fuel in a Toyota Camry? It just doesn't happen, right? I mean, you can have those incredible experiences, but oftentimes those are more detrimental. It's sort of like a, somebody who's, you know, of modest means wins the lottery, you know, before yeah. you know it, they're broke. It's just, there's a natural process to things. But the main thing is, from my perspective, is not taking it personally. It's just like, I look on LinkedIn all the time. I'm like, oh, wow, they're in Sprouts. We're not in Sprouts yet. Uh-huh. Uh, well, they've got national yeah. distribution and we're not there yet. It's just like on a personal level when you're scanning those social channels and the number one success killer for anything is comparing yourself to others. Oh, in every aspect of life, I would say. In every aspect of life. Yes. And it's no, it's no different for a brand. doesn't matter what size you are. No. I mean, it's just a continual, you know, big brands are comparing themselves to others, but it's just at a much higher level with a much yeah. greater degree of gravity associated with it. So, you know, so not focused on that, focused on how do we bring this product to market in a way that's going to be successful? Because it's not just about our, you know, our benefit, or it's not about creating wealth for, not just about creating wealth for ourselves and the investors. It's also about helping to save the planet and then also injecting greater economic viability to coffee farmers. Yes. 80% of the world's coffee is grown by smallholder farmers. That means farms or plantations that are five acres or less community of 25 million people around the globe are producing 80% of the world's coffee and they're struggling to make a reliable living. In many cases, they're not making reliable living. And guess what? They don't even know that this fruit that they're throwing to waste has any value. It's wild. Really wild. So if we can generate demand for that, we can inject greater economic viability for these coffee farmers. Yeah. Well, the key seems to be two things. One is patience and the other is really paying attention to your purpose versus the noise, which there's plenty of, which feels like great advice in general. So I really appreciate that. I think that's the best advice I've heard. And it is certainly not just for businesses, as we all know. (laughs) Compare and despair. That's what I heard in a coaching class I was taking once. (laughs) Compare and despair. I love it. The the other thing to recognize is, you know, it's like at times, you know, as entrepreneurs, you're building something, you you wonder sometimes, am I the stupidest person on the planet or are I the most brilliant person on the planet? (laughs) And the answer is both, right? (laughs) Yes, that's right. Because that's uh, either end of a spectrum, right? Stupidity and brilliance. But that spectrum is made out of a piece of rope that is then connected on one end. So it's while at the same time, the opposite ends of the spectrum, they're right next to each other. And you just migrate back and forth, you know. Awesome perspective. Well, I want to thank you so much for all your time. This is so great. And I wish you the best. And I really hope that people start to understand what you're talking about because the coffee fruit is interesting and it's got a really interesting connection to something that people already love so, so much and want in every form. Like what form hasn't coffee been introduced in at this point in time? And so this feels like a really good way to go and it feels natural, like a natural connection for an energy drink. So I think it's just a, an education issue at the moment. Like mostly, like you said, even the farmers who are making it don't know about it. So how could the general public know? 
Yeah, I know. It's crazy. So, you know, what I'd love to do is make a special offer to your listeners yeah. and viewers. If you want to get on this and experiment or, or give this a try and see if it's good for you. I love it. It's just gives me a perfect lift. It's got 120 milligrams caffeine, just the right level of sweetness. And it helps me function better. But what I'd love to do is offer a discount code. We'll call it irresistible. Is that good? Irresistible. That sounds good. Irresistible so, code. So if you go to letsrip.com and when you go to checkout, you type in irresistible, that'll give you a 25% discount. Ooh, that's a good one. 25% discount. You can also make a donation to a nonprofit we work with, Grow Ahead, to help offset the carbon footprint of the shipping. But if you type in Irresistible, you get 25% off and you can shop for Rift Energy Plus. We have two flavors that we're offering. It's Booyah Berry and Geta Guava. So Booyah Berry is made with blackberry acai. Geta Guava is guava passion fruit. And they both use real fruit juices and purees. And then, of course, you have coffee fruit, which is our super fruit. And with this immunity, you get a daily dose of vitamin C and antioxidants. So it supports immunity benefit and helping save the planet. Awesome. Lots of good stuff. Well, I hope that people take advantage of that. And when I write my blog post, I will also include that in there. So perfect. A different place. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Christy. Really enjoyed this time. Really appreciate it. Me too. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.